Welcome into another great edition of the Sports Roundtable on July the 15th, 2019, a day early. This podcast is being brought to you by Three Guys Fitness in Reedsville. Mention you heard this ad on 96.7 K-Country and receive $5 off your initial membership fee. By Brouhaha in Kingwood, located on Price Street, where the coffee beans are roasted in-house and the coffee is absolutely delicious. And by High Ground Brewing in Terra Alta. Kelly, we convene again to talk sports. The Pirates had a rough week coming out of the All-Star break. Making a bunch of fans uh, change their tune about the Pirates coming out. I don't know if they're real fans or not, if they're changing their tune that quickly. Well, it's always early. And as you talked earlier there, Aaron, we said that, um, by the way, it's always an honor and a privilege again uh, to be with you here talking sports and, again, talking Pirates baseball. So, yeah, after taking three out of four against the Cubs in Pittsburgh before the break, they come out of the break and only two and a half games back and get swept, and uh, they gave up a lot of runs starting pitching again right now early. Only three games, as we said, but uh, right now they're five and a half games back. They're four games under, and uh, you know they're still within it, within the division. All teams, all five teams are within six and a half. The Reds are only six and a half out, so you got the Brewers two and a half back, the Cardinals are three, and they're going into St. Louis tonight uh, as St. Louis, again, is one game over 500, three games out. The Pirates are only a game and a half behind them, so they can still make some noise and turn it around after this three-game sweep of the Cub- from the Cubs and uh, hopefully get themselves back in position. You know, I would have to say out of that whole three-game series, Chris Archer is the one that pitched oh, the he, best out far, of all those three games. By far, he pitched a great game. He uh, he only gave up one hit, and, uh, and, of course, he gave up the home run, but he's responsible for two on base, and uh, they end up scoring, so he gave up three earned runs. But he, he only gave up, uh, you know, really – in six innings, he only gave up one hit, so he did well through six, but that's one of the things that we've noticed with Archer. Once he gets near the sixth inning, it's when he seems to start getting hit a little harder. So I think that's one thing that's hard for the Pirates is the stamina for the pitchers. I know now you're entering in the dog days of the summer, and that's something that concerns me as a Pirates fan is if that you were this inconsistent in the early part of the season, and now you're getting into the true grind of the baseball season into the dog days of summer. I mean, it's been 85 degrees here consistently consistently every day. And now you got the Pirates going out to the Midwest in St. Louis where the heat out there is even higher than it is here. So do you think the dog days could be wearing on them a little bit right well, now? I mean, I think that you know every team deals with that no matter who you are. And uh, some teams have to do, deal with it 81 games a year because they, they're either in Florida or on the West Coast. So I don't know that we can ever say that that should be an issue. I mean, because both teams are dealing with the heat and humidity. So it's just a matter of uh, sucking it up, uh, strapping on your – uh, cleats and uh, getting out there and getting it done. So, I mean, the biggest thing is is pitching. <laughs> Again, we're going to continue to talk about the pitching. They, pitching other than Archer, as you said, and then when the relievers came in, uh, they had a really tough time in that game that Archer started. But you're right, Archer was the only one because in the first inning, the, both the other starters, uh, and Lyles right now seems to be um, kind of going downhill from that good start. You know, he had, he was the one that we talked about that was surprised. And uh, right now, Lyles gave up seven runs, didn't even get out of the first inning. He had he pitched two thirds of an inning and gave up seven earned runs. And Lyles was the person that I when I went to my first Pirate game of the year, Lyles was the one that pitched in that game. He pitched a stellar game. The Pirates would go on to win that game two to nothing. 
and and that's what I'm saying. It just I'm not sure if it's his stuff. I'm not sure if it's an injury. We we do know that early on when he was pitching well that he went on the DL for a little bit. So and he has been uh, the same since. And he has not been the same since. So uh, you know it could be an injury there. And again, we're, we're looking to get uh, Tyon back and uh, get Williams back because Williams right now is not pitching well either since he's come back. And off Williams the DL. was a stud last year going into he the was. second half of the he, season. He had the best ERA I believe of any starting pitcher over the the last two months of the season. He, if he didn't have a rocky start in the beginning of last season, he could have very well been. Cy Young Award winner last There's year. a good possibility he was. Now, the Pirates didn't get a lot of run production, it seemed like, for him last year. But uh, but he had a, a great ERA. But right now, he's getting hit hard as well. And uh, so we're going to have to get these starters in a, in a position of going six solid innings at least. Uh, you know, we'd like to see him go seven. But uh, if the starters can get back and be the consistency that uh, Williams had last year, get Ty on back again as he was our ace uh, to start the season and, um, and get Lyles back to uh, beginning of season form, um, and then your bullpen is going to have to uh, be consistent. And, again, right now the only consistency seems to be in the back end, which is our closer, and that's Vasquez. And uh, with that being said, uh, if the Pirates start dipping here quickly and start falling out of the race, then we've heard, we've heard rumors. Uh, we've heard rumors that Vasquez is on the market, that starting Marte, uh, which is our best athlete by far, um, Marte and, and Vasquez are two big names that's being out there on the chopping block for the trade rumors. You can kiss Felipe Vasquez goodbye if the Pirates get swept or lose the series against the St. Louis Cardinals. I can almost mark it down. No, don't quote me on saying I guarantee it, but I guarantee you there is a very good chance if the Pirates get swept or lose the series against the Cardinals in convincing fashion, you can see the Pirates definitely be sellers. At the trade deadline. And something I want, I really wish the Pirates would do, and I, I, I don't like that. It seems like they beat around the bush when they do it, is they sell, but they don't do what the Houston Astros done that one year when the Houston Astros completely rebuilt that team. Back in those like 2009, 2010, when we got Wandy Rodriguez and a few of their other players, and they absolutely fire-selled that whole entire team, and they went into straight rebuild mode. Took them four years, and they won a World Series. Yeah. The Pirates need to do something like that. I'm not saying Starling Marte isn't the answer. Gregory Prolanco isn't the answer. Josh Bell isn't the answer. They were the answer when Andrew McCutcheon, we had the team back in 2013, 2014, and 2015, the three straight years we went to the wild card. And the one year, we were one win away from going to the NLCS. That was our opportunity. And after those three years, our window has closed. We do not got the talent, and there I, I don't even see it in the farm system that could bring us to a World Series without added pieces. I think the A.J. Burnett, the leadership that he had on that team, uh, as well as the catcher, again, that we got from Toronto, what was Russell that? Martin. Russell Martin. I believe that A.J. Burnett and Russell Martin really had great leadership. Russell I think Martin that, hitting the home run. Uh, as soon as they said Cueto, uh, he hit the home run on the next pitch. Uh, I think that the players like that that have leadership and uh, you know have experience, and, and right now uh, you know the Pirates don't have a whole lot of uh, leadership out there to to really guide these uh, younger kids and get them in that uh, position and that rah-rah type guy that says, you know what, we're going to be determined, we're going to go out there and win. But that's what A.J. Burnett uh, and Russell Martin brought to that team back then. And then well, you had right. the young kids with, you know, McCutcheon was, was young at that time, and he had just raw ability and talent. So, uh, but right now, you know, you've got a lot of young kids right now 
You know, Josh Bell's still young. Colin Moran's still young. Kevin Newman's still young. Adam Frazier's still young. Marte's not that old. Um, you know, the veteran out there right now is Corey Dickerson. And, and Corey Dickerson, how old is Corey Dickerson? And, Corey Dickerson, I think he's 28 or 29. So, we, I mean, the Pirates are young. And even in their starting pitching, now you in your bullpen, you got Liriano, who's a veteran. So you need guys that's going to be veterans to, to really – uh, just really bring forth that veteran leadership. And we don't have – the Pirates don't have a lot of veteran leadership right now. Um, and so it's it's going to be a tough grind to the end. But uh, they did make up eight and a half games. At one point they were back eight and a half, or they made up six games because it was eight and a half and made it to two and a half. But we see how quickly that you can fall back in a race just by getting swept by the first-place team. Here's what I want to say to this. And I know I was on board this whole week. I even made a post on Facebook. The cream always rises to the top. And you've seen it, and you've seen it over and over in years past. Even last year, the Pirates were right up there. They were close to the division. They were on that 11-game winning streak. Seemed like they were scoring 14, 15 runs every game, only giving up two or three, and they are absolutely on top of the world. And next thing you knew, they were like two and a half out. But the cream rose to the top. The Pirates faltered in August. They tried to pick it back up in September, but it was too little, too late. I think this is where... The cap, where no cap in Major League Baseball is killing the Pirates right now because now you're going to see the big market teams like the Chicago Cubs, the St. Louis Cardinals really pick it up. You're going to see the Milwaukee Brewers falter. I really don't think they're going to make it as far as they did last year. I guarantee you I can almost see that the St. Louis Cardinals or the Chicago Cubs will be in the CS this year. St. Louis just kind of... Stays yeah, right there in the middle of the them. pack, and then they just make that run. It seems like every year St. Louis is always right there. I know they just missed it last year, but St. Louis always sticks around and, and finds a way to win. I mean, they, they just always have been consistent winners. And so when you have St. Louis, Milwaukee, and uh, and, the, and the Cubs right now in, in your division, and right now, like I said, the Cincinnati's only one game behind the Pirates. So this uh, the division's up for grabs. We'll see what happens. And, of course, you got to always put that uh, – injury bug in there anytime that there's a big injury that could occur to a to a major player that could change everything as well so especially when it comes to a starting pitcher or or one of your big bats so you just never know what's going to happen and as you said they're in the dog days of summer this is a time to grind it out and see what happens so uh here we go it's the second half of the season and uh um we're just looking forward to seeing what happens here with the pirates going down the stretch i saw a scary trade rumor on one of the rumor mills that the Pirates are linked to, and I don't know if they're officially linked to it or not, but was a story out put out there that the Pirates could go after a certain player, and I saw if they trade a certain player for this player, I was like, I don't know if that'd be a buy or a sell trade right there. They're trying to get a guy by the name of Urias from the, Mar- the Mariners. I don't know much about him. But they're trying to get him. They said he's been on the block the last few years. I think he's somewhat like of a... Keone Kella type player, a player you really didn't hear of until right up until the trade deadline. Then you heard that he was actually pretty consistent. He's in the Seattle market, so we don't hear too much about right. the Mariners. Even when they're good, we don't hear about them. So, Unless it was Ken Griffey Jr. back Ken in the day. Griffey, <laughs> Ken Griffey Jr. or uh, Ichiro now, Suzuki. Now, Alex Rodriguez as well. well <laughs> so, I mean, we did hear about him, so, but he's not on that superstar level. Right. He's on the Pirates level. He's a player the Pirates can afford. He, you're not going to go out and get a Noah Sendergaard or a Jacob DeGrom from the Mets, not one of their top two pitchers, a Cy Young Award uh, caliber player. You're going to go out and get the next best thing, which could be this guy. Rumor is someone like a Kevin Newman with a key Brian Hayes. Two of your top prospects, one who's hitting on top of the world right now. 
I don't see it. I don't know how you can do it. I don't know. Would that, that be a, a buyer or sell trade right there? Well, they're selling. There's no doubt in my but mind. But you're getting a real good pitcher who's young, 26, and you yeah. got control of him for the next four years. And his stats are? That I don't know. I didn't okay, that's, that's what I'm it. saying. That's ignorance of I me. mean, but uh, as far as as far as putting up Newman and, and Hayes, two of your best players, the young players, uh, and for one, right now, and I, I don't see it. I I don't see it. Uh, um, Archer again. I wasn't big on the Archer trade last year. I, I wasn't against I was. it, but I was I wasn't big on it because I knew that his ERA was consistently at four and above. So you know, Archer's never been a pitcher that's going to have a two and a half ERA. He's always been one that's given up four runs a game. So if Archer again is you know, then you mentioned it, uh, I believe last week that because he pitched in the American League that that could inflate it. But actually, his ERA has inflated more with having no DH to pitch to and pitching to the, the pitchers in the National League. So his ERA has just not done it. Again, I think he's a great kid. I think he's a good person. He has a great attitude, uh, does good deeds for charity and, and all those things. But uh, he's going to have to be more consistent. But at the last this first game, though, starting the second half, Archer pitched good enough to win. The Pirates just didn't score enough runs. So uh, we'll see how he does again in the second half, and uh, we'll go from there. Archer did say something in an interview. Like, he's like, I just need to get back to me and what made me good. He's, I think he kind of said that he got away from it somehow. Well, his first game with double-digit strikeouts as well. He had uh, 10 strikeouts in that game, so it's the first time as a Pirate that he's had double-digit strikeouts. It could be a bright so. side because the Pirates yeah. got control of him, I know, at least next year, too. So I, so, I mean, Archer could definitely be a guy. Trades don't always pan out the first couple of years. It may I, take I, a I agree with that. I mean, Jose to... Batista is a great example of not giving up on somebody because as soon as Jose Batista, we give, you know, the Pirates give up on him and Ramos Ramirez, and what do they do? They go to other teams and, and hit a ton of home runs and, and play good defense. Jose Batista did not do that immediately, though. He went outside the major leagues. He went to Japan or some one of those international leagues. Then he came back and got signed. Either by way, Luchana. he still is again was given up on pretty quickly, and uh, so it's you just never know. But you, like I said, you don't know that's going to happen. But at I, the same time, I, even if he would have hit fifty home runs for the Pirates, he would have been trade bait because that would have been back in the two thousand five, two thousand six season when the Pirates were perennial sellers at the trade deadline. Well, I mean, I don't know that you give up a superstar if he would have hit fifty. I don't know. I've never saw the Pirates trade a guy that had fifty home runs. I mean, the following year or any other year that whenever someone's a superstar. So I haven't seen him give up over the years again i'm 50 i saw him in the world series in 1979 at 10 years old and i've never seen him trade somebody that was a superstar unless he was going to get a superstar in return or someone worth value with major prospects by giving up someone and so do you get a major prospect and i don't know if this guy again when you're mentioning cabrian hayes along with newman i just don't think who who's going to come up and play shortstop do you actually believe that the, the kid that's been up with the the pirates this year is ready he don't look major like ready uh, I don't see Gonzalez being your but mainstay. But you're giving up on him too soon. He's a veteran. Uh, but, no, I, I don't see – I never saw him being the mainstay at shortstop well, anyway. Man, he got but hurt. Newman, Newman's proven himself at short, but, defensively and offensively. But, you don't give up Newman right now. But Gonzalez now. got hurt. He got hurt, but he, Newman has definitely proved himself, though. He got an opportunity, and he's made the most of it, has guess, he not? I guess it's like a Tom Brady-Drew yeah, Bledsoe. He has moment. made Drew the most Bledsoe of it. Drew was proven, but Tom Brady came in. Took him to exactly, the and, he and took Kevin Newman ball. has been probably the most consistent hitter on the Pirates team for this whole from the time that he started playing. He's been one of the most consistent when it comes to average. He and uh, Reynolds, he and Reynolds has been the two most consistent hitters on the Pirates team. But of course, Josh Bell is hitting home runs and driving in runs. But when it comes to average, Newman and Reynolds are above Bell when it comes to average. You know who Newman reminds me of? Let's see, I, I know you'll remember this guy, Jack Wilson. Oh, of course, I knew Jack Wilson. So uh, how do you have, yeah. I mean, Jack Wilson. I'm pretty sure he had a pretty good. 
batting average that one year. I'm pretty sure he came close to a batting title that one year. Uh, Jack Wilson had a, had a season or two that he did all right, but his best aspect was his defense. That the kid, that guy could go in the hole deep and deep at short, and he had an arm. He didn't look like he should as far as his stature, but he had a, a very strong arm, was able to go in the hole. And I saw Jack Wilson make some of the the greatest throws to first base, basically from short left field, and throw runners out. So, Kevin Newman done that twice. In the uh, well, he, he actually did it the game, the first batter of the game on the night that we went, Aaron. The, the I game know, that, that's what uh, I was saying. Yeah, he, he made a great play that I we happened to just be walking in, and I saw it on the on one of the, the, the screens, but uh, he made a great uh, backhanded in the whole play and uh, made a strong arm. He, had he a done it on the arm. last play of the game, too, for yeah. us to win it. So, yeah, I mean, Kevin Newman, I don't. as far as, as I'm concerned, you do not touch Kevin Newman. You don't touch Kevin Newman because no. you got control of him. But this is the thing I get I don't get too attached to these players when it comes to Bob Nutting and Neil Huntington because if he's like, I'm not gonna spend money because we're good with what we got but yet it seems like everybody on the team is a revolving door. You keep going through players and it's a what happened to the twenty thirteen? What is one player that is left on the last team that went to the playoff for the Pirates? What is one player that is left on that team besides Starling Marte and Gregory Polanco. I don't even know if he was, was there. Was Cervelli? No, Cervelli even, was. No, Cervelli wasn't there. I don't even know that either one of them was there in 2013. Polanco was. Six years ago. I, I think Marte uh, was. Uh, if Polanco was there, he was in the system. I don't think that he was Marte actually on the was team. There. I think Marte was uh, there. And, and Marte, I mean, I remember his first at bat in Houston. I mean, but I can't first remember exactly bat, what year. First at bat, first pitch. First pitch home run in, in Houston. So, uh, yeah, but uh, I don't know. I just don't think that you touch the young kids right now unless you're going to get a superstar. If you're going to give up your best players, your best prospects right now, you have to get a superstar in return. Oh, I agree, definitely. The Pirates, I don't know. I, I'm just I'm just timid on everything that they do. I don't want to get too attached. And I, I try to be a realist at most times because how many times, how many years, the Pirates haven't supposed to have been that good, but then all of a sudden they're in the running late in the season, but yet they fall short. Well, because you got that's a part team that spent it's, a little more money. Well, absolutely, and that's heartbroken way we, too many times to still well, want to give in to well, it. You know, Aaron, we talk about it every time, and like I said, you everyone that's listening to these podcasts knows that that uh, Kelly Gamble's biggest beef is the fact that the. Uh, there's no salary cap in baseball for per team, you know, and I think the only way you're ever going to level out the playing field is to put a salary cap on every team, and any each team is only allowed to spend a certain amount of money. If those teams can't afford that amount of money, which Major League Baseball would have to vote upon, then they're going to have to lose their team out of that city. I just don't see. I mean, I'd rather see. Uh, 20 teams compete, 10 in each league, and, and have the 20 teams that have the most money. If that's the way baseball is going to be, then get rid of the teams in a small market. But they're not going to do that because they're still making money, even though they're not able to compete for a World Series. The owners are still making money, so therefore they're going to still have as many teams as they do right now. But I just never will be able to see how that can happen. Well, how much money does that team bring into the bars, the places around well, that's there? That's what we're talking about. It's, it's, yeah, it's absolutely. It's uh, I mean, anytime that you have baseball, even if you don't have, you know, even if you're not selling out your stadium, uh, obviously the the owners are there to make money. And so, even if those teams every year, like the Pirates, are not making the playoffs, they're still making money, or they wouldn't be uh, keeping the team where it's at. Oh, definitely. But so. I, I, I that that'll be one thing I will agree with you on. The Pirates do need a. A salary cap that will benefit the smaller market teams. I think that's why you see teams in the NFL. Even though I'm not watching the NFL this year, that's why you see teams. We'll see about that. <laughs> that's why I, oh, I'm not going to watch them. I've already marked it down. I will not watch NFL football this year. Okay, I will not. 
Aaron's making a stand. Everybody remember that. So if we come back onto a podcast after NFL football, we'll see whether or not Aaron has any information. Now, my question is, how are you going to talk about NFL football on your podcast? I, the stats. Okay, I, did, I never right. said I wasn't going to look at the stats. Okay. For the sake of my job. You'll watch highlights. For the sa- I'm not even going to watch highlights. I'm going to look at the box scores. Okay. All right. For the sake of my job, I have to know what's going on. But it does not mean I have to watch that's true, and no, no, I, I totally agree with you. Anyway, like I said, I'm not big on the NFL, and I hope that I don't offend anybody. But uh, the way that things are going right now, when it comes to pro sports, I have a, I'm having a tough time. Like I said, I'm a college guy. Uh, I could sit here and talk about college years sports. Years past your college years, though. Uh, well, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm a little, I'm way past my college years, but I enjoy college football, there we go. and <laughs> and that's and college basketball and college baseball. I mean, I really enjoyed watching the Mountaineers uh, baseball team this year. The few games that I went and and stayed with them and watched them on, uh, you know, and they had them here this year for the first time. I'm a 96.7. We brought you uh, West Virginia Mountaineer Baseball. And Coach Maisie, again, I got I really believe that Coach Maisie will eventually get them to that final eight in the College World Series. Well, Randy Maisie's definitely built uh, a definitely somewhat of so. a dynasty there. They went so, Well, I wouldn't say a dynasty. They haven't won nothing yet. A dynasty is something where you yeah. win something consistently. But they went from where Oliver Luck had the option of dismantling the baseball program where there would not even be yeah. baseball at Holly Field. But then once the Black Bears came to Morgantown and they were going to build a new stadium, they kind of co-mingled. And what do you know? Randy Mazie's in. Within two years, they start winning. Within three years, they almost won the Big 12 title game, but they lost on a walk-off. And then they've went to the Big 12 title yeah. game, I do believe, three out of la- or two out of the two, last three years. Two, yeah. Too. They've been to the Big 12 title game twice, and they haven't won it yet. But the fact that they got there as a lower seed uh, in those seasons was, you know, they, they had an opportunity. The one year that they lost, if they win that, that was the only way they made it in. And they was the next team out as far as getting into the college or getting into the tournament that year. But the, this year they was a top uh, – one of the top 16 seeds and had a home game in Morgantown. So, uh, so we, uh, we flipped over real quickly there from pirate baseball to Mountaineer baseball. And, uh, the thing that we probably need to, uh, get to before we finish up today, though, Aaron is talking about where the Mountaineers were actually projected when it comes to the big 12, the Mountaineer, the Mountaineer football team being projected eight out of 10. I disagree. You disagree. That was my question for you. You're the host. I know that is your Aaron host and you're the host, but I wanted to ask you, where do you think that they belong as far as your prediction? Six. Six. Uh, all right. And actually, I went over it with Neil Waldeck, and Neil projected eighth. My projection was seventh. Um, who do you think that the Mountaineers, as far as being six, who do you think is below them? Who's the four teams below West Virginia I would in your definitely projection? say Kansas. I don't okay. think Les Miles is going to have it together in his first year. I think he's kind of on the same uh, – Uneven ground as Neil Brown. Okay. And then, obviously, Kansas State, uh, they're going into a new coach, uh, being without Bill Snyder for, it seems like, forever. I mean, the guy's name is on the stadium that the Kansas State Wildcats play in. Okay. And I just have a feeling uh, there's going to be another team to falter. I think Texas Tech. I don't think they're going to be near as high as what they were. I think with Cliff Kingsbury leaving, I think that, that I, program may be in shambles. I this agree. Year. I, th- those three I agree with. So uh, that's where I, I'm at. It's number seven. I have number seven. You have six. Ne- or I'm sorry. Uh, I would technically Neil have one more that would have to be behind us. Uh, I think that would be possibly TCU. TCU. All right. So a lot of a lot of projections are putting say, I TCU, Baylor, and Oklahoma State all right in that. Well, cluster. actually, you know what? I this is the ignorance of me. I forgot about Baylor. Put Baylor back there okay. and bump us up to fifth. 
Okay, now now Rule was a good coach, and and Baylor really turned it on last year, and that ended up not only making a bowl game but winning that bowl we game. We torched so. them. We did. Bowl. The Mountaineers did last year, but they are an up and coming team, and we we always talked about it. And if you remember, every week I was giving kudos to Chris Westfall because that's one of the teams that he kept saying, "Watch out for, watch out for." And I wasn't, I didn't buy the ticket. I wasn't on board for that at all. I thought he was crazy. But then each game, it seemed like, how in the world is Baylor, you know, doing this? And they ended up. Going to a bowl game at six and six, I believe, and winning that bowl game. I last thought. Year, I so. thought. I wasn't Chris Westfall also the one that said. I remember he was like, "Watch out for this Baylor game coming into Morgantown on Thursday night." He, he might have been. I don't remember when it came to the had, Mountaineers. They had but, a good uh, quarterback yeah. coming in, and we didn't know that that quarterback still was having lingering concussion issues. He going was. Into that he game. threw like three picks real quick, so that turned that he, game yeah, around. It was like three quickly. straight. It was. Yeah. It was amazing. So, I was sitting in there. It yeah. seemed like every time the defense well, came that, on. He came out of the pocket. He rolled out. As soon as he rolled out, right into one of our defenders. No doubt that the Baylor game was the most complete game that the Mountaineers played last year for West Virginia football. I believe that was the most complete game that they played, and they did dominate from the beginning to the and end. They lost so, the week afterwards. Uh, but, no. uh, but anyway, I, you know, you've got the, at six, so we're giving some early – uh, predictions right here and what we believe here at the the podcast at 96.7. So uh, I'm hoping and believing for 6-6, six and six, but uh, I think right now I'm kind of probably possibly leaning to 5-7 and seven and, and the three teams that I thought would be below the Mountaineers, and I'm projecting 7th, is Kansas, Kansas State, They're five and Texas wins. Tech. They're five wins. They're five wins. Well, I think that James Madison uh, will be a win. I think that uh, Kansas, Kansas State, Texas Tech, and then one of three in this little group that I talked about, either Oklahoma State, Baylor, or TCU. I think they get another win out of those three games. Now, I'd like to see him take two out of three from those three teams I just said, TCU, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. Somehow, West Virginia has to win two out of those three to get that six and six mark, and that's what I'm believing for. So, But right now, if I want to look at it realistically, I'm going to jump early and say five and seven, but I'm really hoping for that six and six in a bowl game. James Madison University, they lose to Missouri. They beat Tony Gibson's and Gibson's return to Milan Pushkar. So he starts off 2-0 at home. And then he's going to beat Kansas, Kansas State, Baylor. And then I say he's going to pull out a squeaker against either TCU or Texas Tech. Okay, yeah. But you're, you're and then I six. even saying that I could even see seven yeah. and five. But the prognosticators, the uh, the Big Twelve coaches, the ones who uh, are are picking right now again. So preseason, uh, they have been picked from the Big Twelve and the number eight slot. And if that would be the case, then West Virginia would not make a bowl game. They would have to win all three of their non-conference games, and then that would only be two wins if they're if they are where they're picked at right now. That means they would go five and seven. Be the if, first if, time they didn't make a bowl game since their first year in the Big Twelve. And and right now, uh, many people are saying that if Neil Brown can take this team in his first year to a bowl game, that uh, watch out. That, yeah, because if he time. can get if he can get a bowl game in his first year right now with uh, all the the things that's happening, all the portals and transfers, and and a lot of it again, I want to remind everybody again not to. Uh, and get too uptight with all this portal stuff because Neil Brown came in and cleaned house from any 
any player that was having academic issues. And so I, I saw a lot of the message boards and some of the local people around here, some of the people that I even know and played ball with, um, and some was a little bit younger than me, but they were saying, what in the world is going on? I thought Neil Brown was this great guy. Well, he is. He's coming in and he's, he's cleaning house and saying, if you can't go to class and you can't have your GPA where it needs to be, then you're not going to be a Mountaineer. And I'm all for that. I think that you've got to have, uh, you know, morals, values, and ethics. Um, He's and, even been a class checker. Neil yeah, Brown himself good. has gone to check to see if players that, are in class. That is good because that's what I'm looking for. I want to see kids come in uh, and realize that you're a part of a program, that your tuition has been paid for. You have a, a scholarship, and it is an honor, and it's a privilege to come and play for any Division One football team. So the kids have to go to class and do their part. They can't just think that they can go out there and play 11 games and get drafted in the first round of the NFL. That's uh, not the NBA. It's not uh, like going to the college just to have a propel into the NBA. And I'm not getting into basketball. No, no. Basketball season's it's, way too. It's, that's far. another day, and, and I'm looking forward to it. But that's another day. Definitely. Seeing uh, yeah, the new so. court. I've seen the new court, and I absolutely love the new court on the. I, and it's actual images of it on the Coliseum floor now. I mean, Neil Brown just seems like such a class act guy. I mean, he took the seniors up to P- Pittsburgh to Business Park to to prepare them for after football for when they hang up the cleats because Neil Brown's like, in all reality, a lot of these players will not be drafted. And he's like, I want to help prepare them for life after football. And I know uh, I know Keith Washington posted a picture of him standing in PNC Park. They took him to a bunch of business parks up in Pittsburgh just to meet business owners. Uh, Neil Brown, I know the other day, brought the tight ends and wide receivers up to his house for a dinner, cookout, barbecue, played cornhole, shot basketball, played in the pool. Neil Brown actually shot basketball with them. Do you remember his Fs that he talked about as far as, I believe it was four Fs? Family. I believe faith was first. Faith, family, fun, and football. I don't remember the fun was one of them or not, but I do know that football was fourth, I believe. So I can't remember if fun was the third. But Fundamentals? Faith, may, may, I'm not sure, but I know that faith and family. I remember the faith and family. I'm not, I'm not sure of the whole one, but football, I believe, is the fourth Neil Brown, when it comes to that. One of the things in Tony Creedy's conversation that I love that Neil Brown said is he talked about that one thing he talked to the players is he's like, listen, he's like, you're coming to the 14th winningest program of all time. They've won a lot before I came here. And he's like, they're going to win a long time after I leave here. So he's like, he's like, I'm just here to help mentor these players onward. And so, I mean, he realizes that Neil Brown isn't an I guy. He's all for the team. He realizes he is a main part of our history right now. But eventually, he's a new chapter to the history of the Mountaineers, and I have a feeling he'll be a great chapter to our history. And I'm believing that because of of his morals, values, and ethics. He he again uh, kind of grew up around in the Kentucky area, I Damn believe, and Kentucky. so so he's an Appalachian guy. And you know what? You know, he might stay here for years. I, I'm believing, and I think I've already spoken this before. I'm believing he's going to spend an era here like Don Nealon. That Don Nealon came in from Bowling Green and took over the Mountaineers, and uh, you know Donnie played for Bowling Green, and and he wasn't that far from home. Here we got another guy not far from home, good old guy, family guy, just like Don Nealon. Um, of course, different era when it comes to offensive schematics and those types of things. However, I believe that Neil Brown could stay in a tenure the same way that Don Nealon did. You're saying a Don Nealon 2.0, part uh, two. Uh, yeah, it could be. I think that he's the same type of has the same types of values and morals that Don did, and Don 
Don built this program. There is no doubt in my mind that Don Neyland. Well, it's called back. Don Neyland Drive. Uh, absolutely, because whenever I was a kid, uh, you know, we speak of Oliver Luck. You know, when he came in as an athletic director, but Oliver Luck was a quarterback when I remember starting to watch the Mountaineers play. And Frank Signetti was the coach back then at that time. And when Don Neyland came in, the Mountaineers were lucky to win four, you know, three, four, and five games. And Don Neyland took them uh, fairly quickly to a Peach Bowl. And again, they beat Florida twenty-six to six in a Peach Bowl, and it was the worst loss and uh, to, to Florida. And I believe it was. What Charlie Pell, I believe back then, was the coach. He took the game film and didn't even watch it and burn it. He was so upset with that game. But Oliver Luck was the starting quarterback, and that was the beginning of a new era uh, at Mountaineer Field in the 1980 when it was the first game, I believe, against Colorado State. Um, but I'll never forget that Don Nealon took that team with Jeff Hostetler to Oklahoma. And to me, that was after the Florida win, that Oklahoma win on the road was signature, and nobody ever expected the Mountaineers to go into Norman and beat the Oklahoma Sooners. So Don Nealon started a trend right there, and it just went up from there, and then everybody got on on this bandwagon that Don Nealon was up the middle, up the middle punt, or up the middle, up the middle pass punt. Uh, as he got older in, in his career and was getting new innovative offenses. But Don Nealon still, I mean, I love the man, and I just think that Neil Brown is in that same mold, um, again, with different innovations of offensive schemes and defensive schemes, but same mold as far as his values and his morals and his ethics. And you just get that feeling when you're near the guy. Even when I, I've only been around the guy once when I went to the introductory press conference and you just had that feeling around him like this is a really good guy he's a straight shooter he's he's a very nice guy but he's not going to beat around the bush he's going to tell you how it is but at the same time he cares for you he cares because he has he wants to correct and uh you know you know i know for a fact that uh with the word and i'll say the word of god correction is love so if you really want someone to succeed then you're going to correct them. If they don't go to class, you're going to correct them. If they're not on time, you're going to correct them. And I think we, again, going back, we're not going to flip over to basketball, but Bob Bob Huggins dealt with that last year, and he had a hard time because kids are not the same as they once were. And so you got no, no, they're not. And you have to stand up and have that value in love and correct kids. Otherwise, again, you can't have them as part of your team because you're, you're causing, you're causing a cancer to the team and the cancer spreads. Definitely. I think uh, this season's going to be a season of potential, but it's also going to be a season to find out where you truly are. I think the 2021 season or the 2020 season is going to be the real first season of Neil Brown because this is a lot of Dana Holgerson's leftover recruits. Well, I think the biggest question as we get ready to finish up here is going to be, and everybody just assumed that Austin Kendall coming from Oklahoma is going to be the starting quarterback. But right now, Neil Brown's saying it's an open competition. Um, it looks as though that it's going to be between uh, he and Jack Allison and uh, Trey Lowe. So, uh, uh, Deggy, as I just heard you say earlier, looks like he's going to have to sit out this year. Uh, if not, then he would definitely be in the running. But uh, right now, the question is, who's going to be the Mountaineer starting quarterback? we got four uh, as well as a freshman coming in, five solid tailbacks. So we got somebody to hand the ball off to, and also uh, Colton McKivitz, I believe we were speaking earlier, has been named first-team preseason All-Big pre- 12. So uh, we have an offensive left tackle to protect. Um, and, and overall, you know, you got Josh Seals on the offensive line still yet. It's a stalwart there. So I think that we can run the ball probably a little more this year. And I think that also if Kendall ends up being the starter, we know Jack Allison is not going to run the ball. He's going to have to have protection and time if Jack Allison's the starter. We know that his feet is not his greatest asset. But Austin Kendall can run the ball. He can tuck it, run, and if they run this uh, zone read, 
that uh, we used to see under Rich Rodriguez, then uh, Austin Kendall can – I believe that DeMond – I personally believe – I'm going to call it right here early. I believe we're going to be a running team this year. Oh, definitely. We're going to have to be. We don't got well, the receivers and, to and otherwise. I, you know what? I like it. I, I know that the new offenses is all about throwing the ball down the field in the Big 12, but I, I have a feeling that West Virginia may have the highest percentage of – run pass ratio this year in the Big 12. This is one thing I want to leave off with before we jump into next week and everything like that. I think this is something that could definitely benefit the Mountaineers come the later part of the season when they need those games to win to get into that bowl game. Teams are going to be tired. Teams are going to be worn down. They're going to be hurt by injuries. And if the Mountaineers keep pounding away with their hard running and Martel Petaway, Letty, or Letty Brown and Kennedy McCoy, I think it could definitely wear and down those defenses that are already tired. Well. Sinkfield's probably the the fastest of the of all of them as far as well, I'm talking about. Speed. I mean, but Pet- the pounding Petaway and uh, and McCoy and and Letty Brown all are, are power. They're, they're power backs with speed. Sinkfield's it's just shifty, shiftier guy. So you know you can just show throw different guys back there because I think that's what they're wanting to do. I think they're going to throw a plethora uh, in there of all those running backs and let them just run. And and I stay. think they could be a good passing team because yeah. if you get a team that can run, 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 and then all of a sudden they're keying in on the run play action it you got george campbell going downfield well and again he's gonna have to prove himself coming in from florida state um but right now i believe that their main target from what i'm seeing is the tight end that last year didn't get as much recognition because of the uh the year that wesco had so who was their backup tight end last year aaron you don't remember the the transfer from miami oh well i hear a lot of talk about uh about him, and, uh, you know, I, I've got that brain lock right now myself. But uh, right now, seeing Neil Brown's quotes, it looks as though he is going to uh, be one of their main targets right now. And he looks more like a receiver, but he played tight end in behind Wesco last year, and he caught like 16, 17 balls last year for you know, a couple hundred yards. So uh looks like they might be using the tight end, you know, the running game and the tight end a little bit more in the passing game this year again. So. Well, I think that's going to do us all for today. Uh, thank you for tuning in for this week's edition of the Sports Roundtable. This was brought to you by Three Guys Fitness in Reedsville. Once again, mention you heard this out on 96.7 K-Country and receive $5 off your initial membership fee by Brouhaha in Kingwood, located on Price Street, where the coffee beans are roasted in-house daily, and the coffee is absolutely delicious, and by High Ground Brewing in Terra Alta. Uh, for Kelly Gamble... I am Aaron Host, signing off. I'll talk to you guys again next week.